What's going on, FA Nation? Welcome back. Once again, the uh, Fantasy Alarm UFC DFS podcast. I'm Dan Malin, joined as always by our resident cornerman, Mike Alexander. Mike, how are you on this Friday evening ahead of the last pay-per-view event of the year? Doing pretty well, Dan. We we had a clean day of weigh-ins. Nobody missed weight. We haven't had any late-week COVID positives. Uh, fingers crossed that that will carry into the card because last week we had three fights canceled in the hours leading up yep. to the card. So uh, if you guys are going to play DFS this week, make sure uh, you are checking in, in that, that late afternoon time frame. I do my best to get it on the channel, to tweet it out. Um, you know, it, it's Our a challenge. Our usually do a pretty good job as well of updating of- – you know, in the MMA DFS chat, they do a really good job of kind of yeah. like notifying everybody as well. Um, yeah. so, so you it, touched on it. Go ahead. It, it's a little later start because there aren't as many fights. Right. Uh, it's like a seven o'clock <laughs> lock. So, um, and as you mentioned, you know, we're down to ten fights. Uh, we've had three or four fights get canceled because of COVID. Um, uh, Angela Hill had to pull out, so they got a replacement fighter for Tisha Torres, which will obviously break down. Um, so it is kind of nice to get a clean uh, slate of weigh-ins. Uh, nobody's overweight. Nobody missed weight. Um, um, right now, is the uh, the playbook is live. The MMA DFS Cornerman video will be live tomorrow, as will the Wager Alarm video. Um, I don't know. With that said, are, are you looking forward to this card? I know it's still got a decent main event, but even that one, like both fighters are coming off of uh, you know a three-week layoff. You got... Davison Figueredo at 9,000 versus Brandon Moreno at 7,200. This is the five-round flyweight championship main event. Figueredo is a minus 300 favorite. Uh, both fighters have, are having a really short turnaround. Uh, Figueredo won his last four fights inside the distance with three of those coming. Uh, I think via submission. I may be wrong. Yes, via submission in the first round, mind you. Uh, Moreno... On a normal night, I feel like his fights normally go to the cards, but three weeks ago he did finish Brandon Royval in the first round. I wasn't expecting that. was was kind of let down because uh, you had really talked me into that being a banger, and I was actually looking forward to it because you were spot on about how Royval normally goes about his fights. Yeah, um, the, the, the grappling was good in the early going. Right. It's just they, they didn't get to, to rack up stats in the first round uh, because it was so grappling heavy, and Royval separated his shoulder at the end of the round. What's your read on this one, though? Um, I, I don't know how to treat a short turnaround. I get it that neither guy really took a heavy beating. Um, I'm not excited about stacking this one in cash as much as we were last week, but I'm curious to see hear your take on it. The, the biggest concern with quick turnarounds, especially down here at flyweight, is it's, it's hard to make the weight. Both of these guys are pretty big flyweights. Figueredo, uh, you know, in his initial shot at the title in the in the bout with the first bout with Joseph Benavidez he did miss by two and a half pounds he's missed weight here before so that was the biggest concern came in I think a quarter pound or a half pound under so they they got the good scale out every you know both of these guys came in half pound under they they weren't gonna uh, chance a, a fight missing due to weight uh in the main event here but um I, you know, I think Figueredo's just maybe kind of gotten it down where he knows how to get himself to 125 without being completely depleted. Um, as far as the fight goes, it's a really intriguing fight for me because a lot of sharp people that I respect 
have been saying that, you know, Figueredo is obviously a, a hellacious power puncher, very dangerous dude. He can submit people clearly all about the violence. But somebody that's got good wrestling and can out-volume him, which is not hard to do, is going to give him a run for his money at some point. And Brandon Moreno is a very solid wrestler. He's very good with the output, and he's got that durable Mexican chin that will be able to survive what most people you know, can't manage to handle when Figueredo dishes it out. So um, I think it's going to be a really fun fight. Uh, as far as a stack goes, I do like it for the stack on the chance that Moreno pulls the upset. Also, you know, he's tough enough that barring a submission like we saw uh, Torres get caught in, um, you know, I think this one's going to the championship rounds. Uh, it's it. hard It's hard to pick against Figueredo, but I've right. got a, a decent amount of interest in Moreno because, you, you know, you get this one right and you're probably going to win your lineups for the night. Yeah, especially, I mean, if you're if you're thinking it's going to go to the championship rounds, you know, why not sprinkle in the underdog at 7,200? And, and Figueredo, with that tough weight cut, because he's so big, you know, we've seen him in later rounds look okay, mm-hmm. but Moreno can keep going. He's, he's a dude that has, you know, a seemingly endless gas tank. And if he starts pushing Figueredo, um, Figueredo's going to have a really hard time finishing a fight if he's not the one dictating and not bullying his opponent, if he's the one, you know, who's, who's kept on his back foot. So um, I don't know if I'd go as far as to pick Moreno. Uh, I, I would probably pick Figueredo, but um, the, the ownership for, for me is going to be pretty close to split. All right. Uh, next fight on the card, the one I'm looking forward to a lot, Tony Ferguson, 8,600 versus Char- Charles Oliveira, 7,600. This is the co-main lightweight bout. Uh, as of a couple nights ago, I haven't checked the updated odds, but Tony Ferguson, uh, now he's a one six, minus 165 favorite to win. It's Ferguson's first fight since his upset loss to Justin Gaethje seven months ago, if it weren't for that loss. Uh, Ferguson was pretty much a lock to face Habib uh, for his title. Um, yeah. You know, now <laughs> Habib is retired, so he kind of missed his window. <laughs> that guy could be retired because, you know, they've tried to make that fight think six times and uh covid was the result of the sixth time so like (laughs) next time is the super volcano that just ends the world so uh, don't don't bother making that fight dana uh ferguson lands about five and a half significant strikes per minute could win this fight easily in the first two rounds Oliveira, despite being in the ufc for about a decade he's only 31 years old uh, he's arguably at the top of his game. He's riding an eight-fight win streak after losing four of his previous six fights prior to the winning streak. Um, grappling is pretty good, really good with submissions. Um, seems like it's a pretty obvious narrative here that Ferguson tries to keep this fight on the feet. Oliveira probably wants to get it to the mat. It's not a scorching hot take. Um, but, yeah, this is the fight I'm most excited for on this card. Yeah, really, really great fight people's main event that kind of thing. I, I wish it were five rounds because I think there's a decent chance it hits the scorecards. See, I'm always confused when they like label uh, the second fight on the card, the co-main event, but then they don't treat it as a five round main event. Yeah. I wish if they to, would just... It has to be a title fight. Yeah. Or, I know. Or the main true event. True main event for yeah. it to go five. I totally think they should allow a co-main, you know, the UFC's discretion to add a five-round co-main, and not that right. they would have to use it every every single card because there's not quality fights on every card. But mm-hmm. 
this is a situation where it's not for a title, but would be a great five round fight. But yeah. you know, that's uh, they they used to not even allow five round MMA fights. So we'll take what we can get. As far as this fight goes, the big question is where is Tony Ferguson's you know chin and head at after that Gaith Gene? Uh, it's a good beating. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, the thing that's holding me back from saying that that Tony's starting to maybe be washed out is that he was supposed to fight uh, right before, I believe it was the, he was scheduled to fight Khabib. It was COVID hit. Tony cut weight anyway and like put on his Instagram standing on the scale at 155 and then turned around and fought Justin Gaethje. I think it was three weeks later, maybe not even. No, Um, sounds about right. So, you know, it's really hard to cut weight period it's hard to do it in in that kind of frequency so people kind of said like maybe you know maybe that's why he looked not quite like his usual self in in that loss and and getting beaten that badly but i don't i don't completely agree with that because you go and you look at his fights man he gets cracked in almost every fight starts doing a chicken dance you know guys like um you know he, he almost lost to kevin lee way back that was what put kevin lee on the map um, but you is know, that the Kevin, one where he scored like a late third round submission win? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, Anthony Pettis hurt him early and he had to like roll on the mat and, and spin and survive any way he could. And it was close. And this is and not he only one because like Pettis broke his hand or something, right? Yeah. I mean, he did, he did put it on Pettis. Pettis quit after breaking okay. his hand. You know, that's, you break your hand, you fight to the end. If you're in the UFC. Gotcha. Um, Pettis at this point, I think, looks for ways out. But, um, you know, he, he is dangerous in spots, and he cracked Tony, and, and Tony, you know, was in danger. Um, Lando Venata had him in trouble. He had to pull a submission on Venata. Um, you know, in all of these fights, he's had spots where he hasn't looked great because he gets hit because of his volume. He, he is extremely aggressive. And not that he's easy to hit, but just because you're pushing that pace, you're going to get hit more. And it's starting to, to show. Um, you know, he, he's been in countless, countless wars. Um, that win streak, you know, uh, however many fights it was, I think 11. Um, it, it's because he was so willing to go to his dark place, he calls it, and... Um, you know, f- managed to salvage these wins in, in mm-hmm. fights that mm-hmm. lesser men would quit. So, um, Charles Oliveira on the other side has been really coming on. When he came up to one fifty five, he really filled it, filled out that five ten frame. Dude looks like a badass at that at this weight. Uh, is just destroying people. Now they're guys like Jared Gordon and Nick Lentz and David Tamor, who you know aren't the creme de la creme that Tony Ferguson has been fighting. This is why it's such a good fight. We're going to find out, is Charles Oliveira truly this lethal? Or is it just the guy he's, guys he's been fighting? Because he had a reputation as a quitter uh, way back. You know, he saw a little blood and, and didn't really like it. You fight Tony Ferguson, you're going to see a lot of blood, <laughs> both his and yours. Um, but I, I think his striking, Oliveira's striking, is just hit that next level. I think he's going to crack Tony and it's going to be a good back and forth fight, but I think Ferguson's going to do the damage and manage to win. Uh, I think it's also going to look better his damage because Ferguson has so much scar tissue; he just bleeds like crazy. 
And then you got the submission out with Oliveira, where if Ferguson does have to grapple because he's hurt, uh, Oliveira can grab that neck in a heartbeat. All right. You know, it's going back to what we said about how this uh, the fight between Ferguson and uh, Habib was canceled six times. You know, if you look at Tony's MMA tapology page, you know, there are like five or six fights dating way back to 2015 where his fights with Habib were all canceled. Do you think that's just what was like the narrative there? Because I've seen on Twitter where a lot of people say that Habib was afraid of Tony um, and Tony obviously missed the window to fight him in, in Habib's last fight. But is yeah. is that possibly a case where Habib was a little nervous to fight Ferguson? It's strange that six fights get canceled. You, you hear that, but then, like, he fought Justin Gaethje um, with, I forget what it, it was, like, he rolled his ankle, like, two weeks before the fight and basically mm-hmm. had to stop training. And he got in there with Justin Gaethje and looked, made Justin Gaethje look, you know, like a child. So, yeah. I don't think Khabib's afraid of anyone. You see okay. that thing with every fighter when something gets canceled. The people are like, oh, he's afraid. I'm like, <clears throat> I mean, you look at who the guy gets in the cage with. He's, he's not afraid. So, you know, you, the, the Khabib's fans, are, you know, they say the same thing. No, no, ter- Tony's the one who's afraid. He's always canceling <laughs> fights. So, I won't go too far into calling uh, the GOAT uh, a wuss, but we'll move on to the next card. Uh, Mackenzie Dern, 8,700 versus Verna Jandaroba. 7,500, it's a woman's strawweight bout. Dern is a minus 175 favorite. She's going to be a popular play. Uh, the price tag isn't terrible for a fighter who has won three of her last four fights with all three of those wins coming via first-round submission. Uh, Jander Rub is a decent... It, she's good competition. She's one of the better fighters at Dern's face. We've seen Dern get in there with some... You know, <laughs> like Hannah Cyphers and absolutely just submit her easily. Um, <clears throat> a couple of top 15s in the division. I am a little bit worried about Dern here only because the price tag is the same uh, as it was in her last fight, but she's just not as heavy of a favorite here. Uh, Dern obviously can get this to the ground, and if it does go to the ground, she's a submission specialist. But at the same time, you know, I feel more confident almost in Jandaroba making more of an effort to get this to the, to the mat. Yeah. Uh, and she's coming off back-to-back first-round wins of her own via submission. So... Well, I'm expecting this one to get to the ground, and we may not see a ton of striking. There's obviously a window here for somebody to get a submission. And while I'm going to be pulling for Dern to win because I'm a fan of hers, I feel like the value with Jandaroba at just 7,500 for almost the exact same, you know, first round, second round win upside. I feel like my more of my exposure is going to go to her. I'm definitely keen on Jandaroba here. Uh in my opinion, Mackenzie Dern has no wrestling. She's got great jujitsu. You know, it's you're in the same ballpark, but they're they're different parts mm-hmm. of that of that arena. Um, you know, she can grab an armbar. She can she can lock up a, a, a knee bar. These kind of things. Um, but she is not good at getting the fight to the ground with takedowns, trips, things like that. Verna Janaroba, on the other hand, is a she very will. strong wrestler. She is she's a Strong woman for the for the weight. Um, she tore through Invicta with her wrestling. Nobody could give her trouble with, with on the wrestling front. Um, you know, she she made her UFC debut late notice against Carla Esparza, who is a very crafty wrestler. And that was a back and forth fight where Jandaroba did fade a little bit. You know, was the late notice part of that? Um, and her striking wasn't quite up to par with Esparza, uh, who's just like I said, a really crafty fighter. But in her next two fights, looked really good, finished them. 
Um, Dern, you know, the one time she fought somebody who was was a very well-rounded fighter, Amanda Rebus, made her look really, really bad. She lost to her uh, by decision, but outstruck 74 to 20. Rebus, two takedowns to none, was never really in trouble, spent plenty of time on the mat. So I think you're going to get a very similar fight. The problem is if Jana Roba doesn't finish it, you know, that's that's a 65, 70-point win. Um, it's not the kind of thing that's going to take down a GPP for you. But, you know, she's a, she's a black belt, a high-caliber black belt in her own right. She could finish Dern if Dern, you know, maybe does go for a Hail Mary submission. Um, but like you said, Dern always has that out. She's yeah. got a knack for just finding uh, an arm bar out of thin air and, and getting that win when she needs it. Um, are you comfortable playing either in cash? I feel like Jandaroba might be the... Nah, I can't even say it. I don't know. Are you entertaining the idea of either of these in cash? I've, I've got uh, Jandaroba uh, in consideration there. Dern, it's just... If she doesn't have a first round or second round finish, even exactly. really a first yeah. round at her price, she's going to have no stats to, to pay off her value. So, um, you know, uh, there is that risk that Jandaroba gets armbarred from bottom in the first round with no stats as well. But I don't think that's happening. I think she's going to be pretty prepared for that and, and is pretty good at jiu-jitsu herself. All right. We're going to move on to the next one. Um, fourth fight, or I guess second fight on the main event. Uh, this one's really scratching. Uh, it's it's screwing with me. I don't get it. Kevin Holland is 8,200 versus uh, Jakari Souza at 8,000. It's a middleweight bout. Uh, Souza's coming in as a minus one ten favorite currently, I believe, and Holland is a plus one hundred dog. And I don't get what I'm missing here because Holland is thirteen years younger, two inches taller. He's going to have a huge reach advantage of nine inches. He's won four straight fights. He has that twelve x upside at this price tag that we like to see. Yep. I just I just don't get why Souza is viewed as the favorite when he's <laughs> forty one years old. Uh, his recent losses have come against strong competition like Jan Blakovich, uh, Jack Hermanson, Kevin Gastelum, Robert Whitaker. Um, but, I mean, what the hell am I missing here? Because it just seems like Kevin Holland should be a few hundred dollars more. And as, is the concern with DraftKings and then Vegas, is it because Holland tested positive for COVID a couple weeks ago? I don't think so. I, I think people are comfortable with, with uh, guys that are turning around. Um, he's not... Holland's not a guy that cuts weight at 185 either, so um, I don't think he's going to be drained at all. The The problem is you look at the the competitive fights he's been in. Split decision over Darren Stewart. Um, you know, takes a win over Alessio DiCirico, but, like, he should have finished that fight in the first or second round, and it went to decision. Split with Gerald Mearshart. Um, you know, uh, he even took till the third round to beat John Phillips way back Um a guy with Kevin Holland's jiu-jitsu should not be taking to the third round to, to finish John Phillips. He screws around in the cage. Even his win over Joaquin Buckley, uh, third round, you know, he was he was putting it on him for the first two rounds, but, like, he's in there talking and laughing, and, you know, you got a guy that swings as hard as Buckley, don't spend 10 minutes locked in a cage with him. <laughs> get, mm-hmm. him get him done sooner than that if, if you're having the success you're having. Um so that's the concern with, with Holland. But, yeah, you know, it is interesting. The line did flip. Holland opened the favorite. It went Jacare's way. I, I've got more concerns with Jacare than Holland. Uh, you know, we haven't seen Jacare look good 
in a while. Even even the Chris Weidman win, you know, that's his latest win back in 2018. Yeah. He was losing that fight. And then in the third round, just bit down on the mouthpiece and said, I'm going to punch Chris Weidman in the head until he folds because that's the way you beat Chris it's Weidman. It's the recipe to success. Yeah. And he did it. And Chris Weidman, you know, a couple shots and is, is done. Um, you know, he lost to Kelvin Gastelum by split. Uh, he lost to Robert Whitaker, I believe. Was that a title fight? That might not have been the title. Uh, yeah, I think that was that was a title fight. Um, but you know, Jacare is a guy that his best days were were way back um, in in strike force. Um, you know, prior to his UFC days, you know, he, he had some good UFC fights, but he came to the UFC already a legend, and you know, he just never fit in their picture. Mm-hmm. Um, he did get the shot at the belt, uh, but you know. I just think at this point his danger he's not a dangerous fighter. Um, he's always going to have the good jiu-jitsu, but he doesn't have the wrestling to get it there. He swings really hard and he's a strong dude even for somebody who's 41, but he doesn't set it up. It's not, you know, unless you stand there and let him punch you. He, there's not a lot of knockout danger. Um, so, you know, it's to me it's either I think Kevin Holland wins the fight, it's does he does he do it in a way that's going to score? I kind of feel like he he will. I feel like he's going to want to make a statement against a guy with with Jacare's name, and say, "Hey, you know, um, I'm legit. Forget about the split decisions. Um, move move me up to to better competition." All right, uh, really good stuff. I I still just feel like Holland is just so underpriced. Um, anyway, we'll move on to the next one. Uh, the lone heavyweight bout on the card: Cyril Gagne. Uh, 9,200 versus Junior Dos Santos. Gane is a minus 440 favorite. If there was one fight on the main card that you can feel pretty confident in seeing a finish, it's this one. Uh, Gane is 6-0 as a professional fighter with five of those wins coming inside the distance. Dos Santos has lost three straight fights, but five of his last six fights have ended inside the distance. Uh, Gane is going to have a six-inch reach advantage, and he has an 82% defense rate. He only absorbs about 1.67 strikes per minute. Uh, significant strikes per minute. Um, really not expecting this one to get to the ground. It's a heavyweight fight. I'm just expecting somebody to get uh, knocked the F out. What's your read on this one? This is a fun fight. Uh, Gon, like you said, is a uh, an up-and-comer. Um, he's a part-time training partner of Nganu's. So, you know, there's that storyline. He's looked really good in, in his UFC time oddly enough two of his ufc finishes have been by submission uh and he's not he's not really uh, i mean he's got jiu-jitsu obviously you know dude who's got a heel hook finish um in the ufc it's you you you've practiced it you know he's not a a guy that that's his primary skill set though um his his bread and butter is his athleticism at heavyweight I, he's just really fast high volume and has the endurance to do it for three rounds, where most heavyweights just can't do that. You saw in his last fight with Tanner Boser, like it just was kind of a boring, safe fight because Boser is kind of the same dude. Um, just long, good athlete, not a risk taker. Uh, he just couldn't keep up with Gon. And they've been trying to match Gon up with somebody for a while now that's a step up. Uh, Shamil Abdurakimov, Sergei Pavlovich, uh, Ante Delizia was his most recent canceled bout, who hasn't fought in the UFC yet, but is a legit heavyweight. Uh, so, you know, they, they got to get him in 
into the octagon in 2020 here. It's been almost, it's been a year since he fought uh, with all these cancellations. Got four canceled fights in 2020. So Junior Dos Santos with the UFC saying, you know, we're going to cut about 60 people by the end of the year. A piece of paper gets, you know, sent your way with, with a, a name on it to fight. You sign that piece of paper. You're you're not going to chance getting getting cut. Uh, and, you know, he's got a, a couple paydays left with promotions like Bellator after he does get cut. But, you know, he's he's making, I think, 100K to show and 100K to win with the UFC because um, he's been around so long. All right, so overall, who do you think wins the fight? You'd have to say Cyril Ghosn. You know, the, the volume, the athleticism, it, it's just going to be a lot for JDS to handle. At, at this point, all JDS does is wing haymakers. Um, the boxing that made him so good is gone. Uh, and whether that's his, his conscious decision or that's, you know, where his body is at this point. Um, but, you know, there is a little bit of a chance that JDS does land something, gets gone in trouble, and Cyril Ghosn is just not ready to go to that spot yet. So um, really deep GPP pools maybe want to include some JDS because Ghosn is probably the most popular fighter of the night. And we've seen that leverage spot tip oh, just so many times in this, this pandemic era. Um, you could really set yourself apart with a probably 10% ownership on JDS. Uh, move on to the next fight. This one, I have no read on it. I don't know what the hell to expect. Daniel Pineda, 8,300 versus Cub Swanson, 7,900. It's a featherweight bout, and Pineda is a minus 165 favorite. It's been over a year since Cub Swanson has fought in the UFC. He's lost four of his last five fights, and his recent hiatus was due to recovering from knee surgery. But um, I don't know, he's got to be beyond that at this point. Um, reads as a pretty good fight, but I'm probably going to lean towards Pineda, uh, may throw Swanson in a lineup or two. If he can pull off one of those vintage 100 plus strike cup Swanson performances right now, I'm leading Pineda because Pineda, he made what a second debut with the UFC when in a win over Herbert Burns in August, it wasn't like his first time in the UFC, but he was coming off a lengthy, uh, retreat from the UFC, right? Yeah. He was with the PFL for a while That's and, right. um, he was probably going to win their million dollar uh, prize, but tested positive for steroids. Uh, nice. You know, the, the UFC <laughs> needed, needed somebody to fight. And I think it was early COVID times. And, you know, he was, I guess, a free agent because PFL was, was not happening. And um, he, he looked really good against Herbert Burns, who, mm -hmm. you know, plenty of people have said is not the guy uh, people were building him up to be. He, he wasn't his brother, but, um, to, to look that bad. Uh, you know, Pineda's just really well-rounded. He's got good grappling. And that's the concern with Swanson is, uh, you know, you, 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 you've seen guys uh, submit him um, without a lot of trouble. Uh, he's He leaves his neck out there. Uh, it, it, he's relied on his athleticism his entire career to be faster, get in and out and strike. And that athleticism is gone, you know, um, he had a kind of tough time with, with Artem Lobov way back. Brian Ortega, uh, that was a competitive fight. Cub Swanson did start to hit Ortega a little bit, and that's when Ortega just grabbed his neck real quick. But, you know, he, he's, he was coming off of four losses when he, when he fought Kron Gracie, and Kron Gracie just refused to try to take him down and just swung with him for three rounds, and you're not going to beat Cub Swanson when you're Kron Gracie with, with no real striking experience. 
So Pineda is not that case. Uh, I think he can strike with him. I think he will have a good shot at submitting him. And I, I've thought Swanson was washed for a long time. People keep thinking he's going to turn the corner, but you know, not not at the age, not with the injuries, not with how yeah, he, he's around like what thirty seven years old, roughly. Yeah, thirty seven. Yeah. All right, uh, next fight on the car, we've got Rafael Faziv at 8,400 versus Renato Moicano, 7,800. It's a lightweight bout. Faziv is entering as a minus 160 favorite. Uh, both fighters outside the top 25 in the lightweight division. Good opportunity for someone to move up in the rankings here. Faziv is coming off back-to-back wins via decision with okay volume. Uh, Moicano, at least, is a boomer bust kind of fighter. He'll be active, and if this goes to distance, he's shown 100-plus strike upside before. Um, I don't really have a good read on this one. I don't know too much about either fighter, uh, but I do like Moicano at the discount. Yeah, I, I like Moicano a lot in this fight because Fizayev is kind of like the flavor of the month with his win over Mark Giacchese. I don't People are still hanging on to Mark Giacchese being a good fighter. Like, <laughs> he's a great athlete, but he's not a good fighter. He's not good at winning fights. Um, and even then, like he did win some rounds on on judges on the judges' scorecards. It was still a unanimous decision, but um, you know it was the late rounds weren't as comfortable as they could have been for a guy with Fizayev striking. Um, he did lock in a takedown to secure a round there at the end. But you know, Hinata Moicano is a very good kickboxer. Uh, not as long at one fifty five as he was at one forty five, but. Good length still at 5'11", 72-inch uh, reach. He's quick, uh, is good at out-voluming opponents. You know, his troubles started where um, Jose Aldo knocked him out and then uh, Korean Zombie knocked him out. So he had to kind of go back to the drawing board, came up to 155, um, and smoked out Demir Hadzovic in, in seconds. Now he's getting, uh, you know, a, a more reasonable step up against Fizayev in the division. And both of these guys, you know, should have some momentum coming into it. And, and one of them's going to be, you know, leaving the octagon with, with that momentum all, all to their uh, self. So I'm also curious, you know, if Moicano has to go to the grappling, can Fizayev truly answer it? You know, he he shrugged Jacasey off pretty easily. Jacasey's not a great wrestler. Um, Moicano is. He's a sharp wrestler. Not a strong dude, but he's sharp. And uh, is very good at grabbing a hold of you and effectively grappling and getting some jujitsu going. So, you know, if this if Fizayev hadn't had the fight against Jacasey, would the fight be lined like this? I don't think so. So, mm-hmm. um, I'm happy to take the value on Mykano. Even if Fizayev wins, it's probably again you know a 75 ish to 80 strike win. Mm. You know. 70 points it can't hit value right all right awesome love it next fight on the card could be a good one uh really yeah. depends on what version of uh gavin tucker we get but billy quarantillo 8500 versus gavin the governor tucker uh 7700 uh might break my uh, fade the canadians rule here because i do <laughs> like gavin tucker a little bit obviously probably gonna have more exposure to quarantillo at minus 152 favorite um <laughs> I mean, there's only 10 fights in the card, so this is one I'm probably going to be... It might be one of the top two fights I get the most exposure to. Uh, Quarantillo's 3-0 and in the UFC, although some will argue he probably should have lost uh, to Spike Carlisle. Uh, comes in at a really good price tag, his cheapest by far during his UFC tenure. 
Um, could win inside the distance as well. He'll probably throw more strikes than Tucker. Uh, but Tucker is coming off um, back-to-back, I think, third-round submission wins. Um, mm-hmm. Really looking forward to this to this fight, and, uh, and I'd love to get your read on it. This should be a good one. Uh, Quarantino does not have boring fights. It just is not in his in his DNA. Uh, and kind of same thing with Tucker. Like, the dude just keeps getting in wars. You know, Justin James had him in trouble early. But Tucker managed to weather that storm, come back, and submit him. And that was really good to see because, you know, Tucker, Tucker, his calling card was um, that Rick Glenn gave him, like, the worst beating in UFC history. Um, you know, he had to take a lot of time off uh, and heal up from that. It took him two years to get back in the octagon. So uh, it says something about who he is, his perseverance. He's not going to quit in there. And, and Quarantilo, we've seen, will not quit in there. Uh, Spike Carlisle had him in trouble seemingly the entire fight, even though Quarantilo was winning the rounds, um, in, in my opinion. But, yeah, that was a really close fight. They're, both guys had an argument for getting their hand raised. And Quarantilo's fight with Kyle Nelson, same thing. Like, Kyle Nelson was hurting him in spots, and, you know, Quarantilo was able to to take over later in the fight, but um, definitely had moments where he, he was in trouble. So, uh, both of these guys are good going forward, not great defensively. The winner probably is in a GPP optimal lineup, mm-hmm. and I can't tell you who it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually am leaning Tucker's way. I, I think Tucker's striking is a little better and and maybe maybe has a shot at hurting Quarantilo. But, you know, dude, dude is durable. So uh, it's mm. going to be a fun one and own, own both sides if you can. All right, one Canadian I will get exposure to. Next fight is uh, Tisha Torres, 8,900 versus Sam Hughes at 7,300. It's a women's strawweight bout. Torres is a massive minus 570 favorite to win. Uh, Hughes is coming in, I think, on six days' notice. She's stepping in for Angela Hill, uh, who had to miss the fight due to a positive COVID test. Hughes is actually going to carry a four-inch height advantage and a a three-and-a-half-inch reach advantage. It is her UFC debut. Uh, also her fourth fight this year, so she's been busy. Um, mm-hmm. At this price tag, though, are you trusting Torres? We talked a little bit earlier on, actually before we started recording, about our personal feelings with towards Torres. Um, not that she's a terrible human being. It's just you know we don't really think she's that great of a fighter. Uh, what's your read on this one? I'm actually curious to get a few, uh, like exposure to Hughes a little bit. Obviously not in cash games, but I love to – to play her in some GPP builds. I watched some of her fights. She has really good cage control, and, and she is, you know, uh, she calls herself Sam Page. Um, what's your read on this one? Right. Uh, you got Torres getting back in the win column last time out. Um, yeah, she finally got got a non-champion level fighter uh, after losing to Andrade and Jacek and Zhang. But, you know, Marina Rodriguez... Um, you know, she's not championship caliber, and, and she was able to bully her uh, over three rounds herself. Um, Brianna Van Buren, I, you know, that was a whiff. I, I don't know what happened there. I was thinking Van Buren was, was um, a near lock from what we'd seen from Torres. but uh, she's tough. I was on that boat, too. I was with you there. I thought yeah. Van Buren was going to win that yeah, one. So Torres is tough. What we were saying you know, before airing is she, she fights to her competition. So... You know she's in there with these with these champions, and she gives them a good fight. You know she she's tough, she's quick, she's got the taekwondo style in and out, hard to hit, good grappling, defensive grappling. She doesn't use her offensive grappling. 
but you know, uh, it was it was all decent fights. You you wouldn't say any of them were a bad fight. Maybe the Rodriguez fight was a bad fight, but um, you know, she she's in the fights at least. And then she does really soundly uh, beat Brianna Van Buren, who was somebody that looked like they were building steam. So. You know, it's probably uh, too tall of a task to expect Sam Hughes to come in here with the six fights experience that she has and be able to hang with Tisha Torres. But if Torres fights down to her or if if, um, Hughes does just go out and and try to bully her, we've seen that happen. And Torres is more of an atom weight and she's just stuck fighting at 115 because that's the smallest division in the UFC's women's divisions. Um you know, but you look at Hughes on her topology page, like they've got her ranked number 192 in the Western <laughs> yeah. part of the U.S. Like, yeah, that's because nobody's really heard of her. And the UFC <laughs> was like, oh, crap, who can we, we get to take a We can't have a nine fight court, yeah. You know, let's, let's dig through this Rolodex pretty deep. And so, you know, they, they called a manager and said, you got a 115-er that, that can make the scales reasonably Friday. And somebody said, yeah, her name's Sam Hughes. And they said, all right, send a picture over. We'll, we'll put her on. Um, so, you know, she probably loses a decision here. But, yeah, Torres, without any grappling, uh, even at a good pace, winning a decision, it's 80-point ceiling, you know? Mm-hmm. So. All right, man. We'll move on to the very first fight in the card, the opener. Uh, it's usually the Dan Malin special. Uh, Chase Hooper is 9,300 versus Peter Barrett at 6,900. It's not nice for this fight. Uh, it's a featherweight bout. Hooper's a minus 305 favorite. Seems pretty cut and dry on paper, but I'm not going to completely discount Barrett. Uh, he lost his UFC debut to Yusef Zalal via decision, and he only landed 23 strikes. Uh, Hooper lost via decision to Alex Caceres, I think, back in June or July. Comes in as a heavy favorite, obviously. Um but the loss to Caceres was actually his first professional loss, so I feel like this is this is a fight that they're throwing him to maybe put him on the back on the winning track just to make him look good, gain some confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the price tag may lend itself to a lot of ownership, but it just seems pretty easy that Hooper comes away with the win here. I wouldn't say it's going to be easy. The, the problem with Chase Hooper is the dude is 21 years old. He's been fighting since he was 18, and he's been getting put in there with much better competition. This is not some Brazilian 18-year-old dude who is, like, just a machine. He's this scrawny kid that has got chicken legs and arms and gets his butt walloped by these professional fighters, these grown-ass men. And, you know, it's been... Slowly becoming a problem for him. He he gets he gets hurt and he's got to find a way to win the fight with his jujitsu, um, you know. But Caceres was was you know a guy that was smart in in beating him down, um, and has jujitsu of his own, so he wasn't really gonna gonna risk um, any trouble there. So uh, he made Hooper look really bad as a pretty big favorite, and there was a lot of people that, that are sharp that were on. Alex Caceres in, in that spot. Uh, same storyline here. Barrett isn't the fighter Caceres is. You know, he's more of a, of a scrappy brawler kind of dude. Um, but he's going to punch Chase Hooper in the face. And Chase Hooper does not have good striking defense. He's a young, young guy who's already got some chin issues. 
you start getting hit by a hungry cat like Pete Barrett, uh, dude from Boston, you're you're gonna get yourself into some trouble. Um, maybe Hooper comes out and he's a little bit more polished. He's able to, you know, not get drawn into a slugfest. Um, is able to maybe get get the fight to the mat where he he's gonna excel. Barrett's a decent enough wrestler though; like he can wrestle a little bit. His jiu-jitsu is not going to match Hooper, but um, I think playing Hooper is is asking for treble. I'm really curious how the ownership shakes out. I think people are going to be gun-shy on Hooper, remembering what he did to them last time. Barrett, you know, I don't know if he's going to inspire enough confidence to really have more than 15 20% ownership, but... Um, you know, anything 15 or less, I'd be pretty happy rostering Barrett in, in GPPs. Is the UFC kind of high on Chase Hooper, though? Like, do they view him as a guy with upside? Because, he, you know, this is his third fight in the UFC, and he's yeah. only fought on pay-per-views. Yeah, so he fought uh, on the Contender Series way back. Um, let me take a look. Oh, yeah, in 2018. They they're kind of like, you're just too young. You need some seasoning. Um so, you know, he took a couple more fights and, you know, uh, he he had a split draw and then wins in the rest. And they were like, all right, come on, let, let's see what we got. Uh, we'll put you against Daniel Tamer, the, the worst of the Tamer brothers. And even though he won that fight in the first round, it, it was a wild fight. It was back and forth the whole time. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think... Uh, I, they they get the UFC just gets stuck. They they've got these younger guys and they're just like, well we we can't let them go to waste because if they lose they're not the fighter we invested in. Um, we got to get them in the promotion and at least if they lose it's to one of our guys and and one of our guys can take the shine from them. Yeah. So, um, you know they the UFC is not a good place to do your early career development. It, it it's very unforgiving. Uh, I, I just I get the feeling Hooper is going to be just another one of these guys that that washes out um, and is a uh, is a cautionary tale. All right, well we'll wrap it up real quick. Uh, what's your cash core looking like for this ten fight? Do you do you find yourself playing more cash games if it's such a shallow card like this, or you just strictly strictly lend yourself to GPPs? Uh, a lot of it depends on the comfort level I have w- with a cash build. Do I feel like I've got people that are going to get points no matter what? Uh, and are there, you know, are we looking 2v2? Are we looking 3v3? Like, you're probably facing the main event stack, Cyril gone. And then, you know, from there, it's kind of a toss-up. I would think Pineda, actually. Uh, you know, you're not, he's not going to get finished by Swanson at, at worst. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, now you're looking at two spots. Do I think I can beat people with, with, with two, the two people? Um, I'm interested in possibly going with Kevin Holland in one of those spots because you've got Jacare Souza becoming a line value and the, the, the cash grinders, the guys who uh, rely on sheer data, they're going to say, this guy is minus 120, he's 8,000. That means I play him in my cash lineup. I don't think Sousa, even in a win, is going to score 
more than 60 points uh, unless it's a first round fluke. Um, so, you know, that's a natural kind of leverage spot where Holland probably has a similar floor. The 30 point win bonus at minimum is a toss up. And if it goes your way, uh, you know, that's a nice leg up. You really only need to win one more spot. Um, you can fit in, you know, in, in the in the playbook, I used Hinato Moicano. I don't think he gets finished by Fizayev. I think he gets you volume at worst, $7,800, nice value. Uh, and speaking of value, just for, you know, cheaper GPP, high upside targets, uh, we're going with Jandaroba, Moicano. Um, I think we also talked about uh, Tucker as well. Those are your favorite value plays? Yeah, if you want to live dangerously, Peter Barrett. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, fight you're looking forward to the most, and why is it uh, Ferguson Oliveira? Because the the mat is going to be disgusting by the end of that <laughs> fight, and you're going to probably want to throw up watching Figueredo Moreno. Uh, no, that that's obviously a great fight. Uh, I, I'm actually really looking forward to Moicano Fizayev because that's a really nice technical kickboxing match, and one guy has got jiu-jitsu to use in Moicano, so um, a lot of different ways that could go. All right, man. Well, thank you so much for your time. Everybody check out Mike's playbook. It is up on Fantasy Alarm. Uh, we'll keep it updated in case we lose any more fights. Really hoping that's not the case. Would hate to see this get to an eight or nine fight card. That would absolutely suck for the last pay-per-view of the year. But Mike, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck to you and best of luck to the FA Nation.